Amen. Good morning, church. How are you today? One person over here is doing good. So, all right. It's me and you. We'll be talking. So, what a wonderful day. I mean, how about this weather? It's not often we have an Easter service. We've got to worry about sunscreen, huh? What a blessing to be out here today. Um, I want to talk to you for the next couple hours about uh, this passage in, in the, the book of Luke. That part is true. The two hours is not. Uh, but I do want to talk to you just for the next few minutes about this passage. It actually shows up in Luke. So significant that it shows up in all four of our gospels. With Did I switch up, Corbin? Should I come this way? I'm getting a lot of direction. So if you guys could see the hand signals I'm getting. So I don't know. How about this? Am I good? All right. Should we start all the music over, everything? Or, or just for mine. Okay, great. Oh, all right. I want to sh share just for the next couple minutes about this passage that shows up in all the Gospels that talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, listen, if you've been around the church world much for your life, let's say in and out almost weekly, it is really, really easy to kind of numb yourself to the idea of the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection. If you haven't been around the church as much, you might not have been around people who talk about the significance. You might not put your eyes on those passages and read those too often. So I want to just this morning, I just want to assume maybe all of us, me included, is kind of looking at this passage in a new way with fresh eyes this morning. You see, in uh, 367 A.D., the final list of books was put forward, and it was kind of, you could say, voted on to decide what the New Testament of the Bible would look like. So if you start in the book of Matthew and you go to the book of Revelation in your Bible, those 27 books, it was kind of voted on by the church council and decided this indeed would be our New Testament of the Bible. They call it the canon. That's significant for a big reason. Because up to this point, there was no the Bible. There was no leather-bound book that was handed to people with the Old Testament and the New Testament where they could read these things and they would learn all about Jesus. Now, it is true that from the first century to this time in 367, there was this progression of things that were being written about Christ, letters that were being written and songs that were being written and psalms, and they were kind of circulating, and eventually it ended up with this 27 books I just talked about. But you need to understand... People didn't walk around and say, Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm going to put my whole faith and trust in him because, why? The Bible says. They didn't say that because there was no the Bible to follow. So what were they following? What were they hearing? What is it that compelled many of them to kind of leave their, their life as they knew it and say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ in every way, shape, and form? we got to look back in the first century. It starts with these people that actually walked and talked with Jesus Christ. I mean, we find that they were so distraught come crucifixion time because their best friend, their teacher, was gone. In their eyes, he was gone. In fact, the day of silence, we celebrated it yesterday, the Saturday of silence. We actually find in one of the passages that Peter went fishing. And we might go like, wow, he kind of... Went back to his old life already. No, he was grieving. He was hurting. He had lost the closest person in his life. He looked to find something that would bring comfort for his life. And Peter, being a fisherman in his past life, decided to go find comfort in fishing. That makes sense. 
we find comfort, right, when we're grieving, when we're hurting, when we're looking for that kind of thing. But you got to understand, the next day when Jesus rose from the dead, when the report started to spread, and some of the disciples were there, and then others heard it, and then when they were all together, Jesus actually appears to them, and, and this person that was their closest, their, their teacher, who died, was now standing in front of them. That is going to do something to your life. That's going to change. You're going to start talking about this person in different ways than you ever talked about this person. They might have said Messiah, Savior, and they might have proclaimed his name. But when he died and then rose from the dead, whatever they proclaimed him to be just shot up a bunch of levels. And so they went around, and everywhere they went, those disciples, those followers— they proclaimed the name of, of Jesus. There was one time where Peter, and you know, you know that name Peter if you've been around the church world, one of the 12 disciples. There was one time where he was actually being ordered, quit sharing this message about Jesus. And you know Peter's response? How can I stop proclaiming what I have seen and heard? That's what they were saying. I've experienced this. I can't not speak about what I experienced. So that was what the disciples, that was these first century disciples going out and sharing. And guess what happened? People heard the story. They saw these guys' passion, and they put their own faith and hope in Jesus Christ. But why? What was it they were proclaiming? They weren't going around and saying, hey, guys, the Bible says that. What were they going and proclaiming? Well, they were proclaiming that Jesus came to this earth. It was God incarnate. That Jesus claimed that he was the Messiah, the Savior, the way, the chosen one that was called. We have all of these stories and movies and stuff in the last hundred plus years that have the chosen one. That we've actually become numb to that concept. But that's what they proclaimed about Jesus. And then they proclaimed that he died. He went to the cross and literally died. Crucified. And then they claimed with authority and power they claim that he raised from the dead. Listen, you can come up to me today, and you can tell me a story of somebody who died and rose again. And it might be a story about somebody who, like, was on their, their deathbed, and they, you know, they, they just they died for a few minutes, and they were resuscitated and brought back. We hear a lot of that. But you're probably not coming and telling me a story about somebody who was in a grave for three days and then rose. So this story was powerful, and they proclaimed it. All the way to the point that they were told to stop saying it. And some of them even put to death because they were sharing it. But there's more. They actually were proclaiming not that Jesus just died and rose again, but that this actually meant something. It meant something to their lives, to the lives of the people they were talking to. That if one actually believed in this, they, it's not just that, okay, I believe this historical fact. They actually believed that there was a transformation that happened within their life through Christ and through believing on this death and resurrection of Christ. And you know what? They started to see it. And the people that believed, they started to see a difference. They started to see a very early, a Christian, but they started to live out what Jesus looked like. And this Christian culture started to grow and grow and grow. We find there's one time the religious leaders even say, it's, it's kind of an exaggerated statement in the scriptures, but they say, look, the whole world is coming to him. 
Well, certainly the whole world was, and it was very, still a very small minority. But what they were proclaiming is, this thing is growing. It's growing like gangbusters, right? Why? Because you had this group of believers who were proclaiming that Jesus died and rose again. Simply put, this is the good news that you hear about. When somebody says the good news, the gospels, when you see a billboard that proclaims it, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about simply this, that we live in a broken and messed up world. Am I right? Anybody would disagree with that? We live it every day, don't we? We see it all around us. You flip your news on, you're going to see it just like that. We live in a broken world. And there's all kinds of ways that we deal with brokenness and we look to bring wholeness and, and kind of manage and figure out this life. I mean, some of us, we're looking for it in success and materialism and, and having more stuff or getting up that corporate ladder and all that kind of stuff. And listen, there's nothing wrong with working hard at your job. There's nothing wrong with owning a house and owning a car and having a dog and those type of things. But it is when we are trying to find our wholeness again, when we're trying to deal with this broken world by those things, some of us look for it in relationships. And we're just longing for somebody that would love us too or somebody that we can call our own, even if it's just for a moment. For some of us in relationships, it's more of an experience within the relationships, even if it's a physical experience. And we're longing for the wholeness to deal with the brokenness. For, I mean, for some of us, we even go on, we call them journeys or searches or spiritual journeys in our life where we're seeking and we're seeking and we're just not quite sure what it is we're seeking. We're not quite sure what it looks like. We just know there's some void. There's some brokenness. There's some open thing in our heart. You know what? God didn't design our world broken. He didn't want it to be that way. God actually designed our, our, our world with him as this love, this, this, this show of love when he created. In fact, the Bible tells us in the very beginning that God created us in God's image. Now, if you've ever thought about God, you probably think of a pretty good image. God created us in that image to be like him, to think like him. And yet, we are in this brokenness. What happened? Well, you might understand, we, we decided that somewhere along the way, we decided that I would live my ways before I would live God's ways. I would consider me before I would consider God. We call that selfishness. Anybody out here immune to selfishness? Probably not. I mean, I kick myself weekly because of selfishness. But at its core, the definition of selfishness is sin. That's what it's really about. Listen, I understand there are times where the Christian world has done a poor job cramming sin down people's throats making them feel horrible and guilty. I want you to understand just the simple definition, and it is that selfishness when I choose my ways over God's ways. That's sin. That's just what sin is, and none of us are immune to that. We all understand that. It led us to brokenness in this world. But God says, I love you so much. I don't want to leave you there. And that is what we're celebrating this weekend, that, Jesus or that God would send Jesus to this earth. God incarnate, he would send him for a purpose and a meaning. That he would send him to the cross. Do you know what the cross was for? To deal with that sin. As a sin sacrifice for us. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know the people kept coming every year with some type of animal or grain as a sin sacrifice every year. 
And God says, no, I'm going to do it once and for all now. His own son goes to the cross. The crucifixion is dealing with that sin. It's dealing with it, a sin sacrifice once and for all. But listen, the resurrection is dealing with that brokenness. It's dealing with wholeness again. Because he rose from the dead, we can experience life. We say it this way, that, that he experienced victory over death in raising from the dead. And so because of that, we can have life in him, wholeness once again, that he actually wants to restore us, to redeem us back as close as we can get to that original image of God that he designed us in. That's the journey God wants to take us on. And here's the beauty of it. He doesn't just say, hey, this morning, just say, oh, all right, death and resurrection, great, I'm on it. One day I get to go to heaven and be with him. That's a great reward. He actually says that life in him, that restoration and redemption, it starts right here, right now. If you choose to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to follow Jesus. I want to claim the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I want to get behind him and follow him and be like him. You see, there's a lot of teachers in our world. There's a lot of things to follow. You can look like a lot of things. In fact, some of you, you're here today and you're dressing the way you are because you're somewhat following someone or some style. You just like that style. That's fine. What's different about following Jesus? What's different? You see, there is something spiritual and supernatural that is embedded with a life following Jesus. I don't even know how to perfectly put it in words to explain this. In fact, in the Christian world, we often call this the mystery of God. That we actually believe that when we put our faith and hope in Jesus, and we say, I'm going to follow this way, that there's actually uh, this Holy Spirit that comes in our life, that's what the New Testament calls it, and lives with us, and actually empowers us to live out this life in a way that we never could do on our own. I mean, there's a lot of solid, moral people, wonderful, good people. In fact, there's such moral people out there, I wish sometimes some of my Christian friends would follow their example in the morality side, right? But that doesn't change that when I really, truly put my faith and hope in Christ, there is a supernatural that comes alongside of me, that lives in me, and helps me do something I could never do on my own. In a nutshell, what I just shared, that's the gospel. And listen, like we ask often, what would prevent you today from putting your faith and hope in Christ? What's going on in your life that would prevent you from saying, you know, today I want to I become a follower of Jesus. I, I want to today not just say I, I, I'm satisfied with the brokenness and feeling it out on my own and finding my own way. But I want to put my faith and hope in Christ and follow him. Listen, here's the beauty. He'd take you however you are. For some of you, you're dealing with the brokenness this morning. You might be sitting here, and you're dealing with it with addiction. That's what it's come to. Maybe substance abuse. It may be something else. Uh, but yet that's how you're dealing. It's got this grip and hold on you, and you're just trying to figure it out and deal with it. What would prevent you this morning from saying, my way of dealing with this brokenness hasn't quite got it done? I want to see what Christ has to offer my life. He'll take you right where you're at. You could be at the low of your brokenness. If you have an addiction, you could be at the low point of your addiction. Right now, he'll take you in a heartbeat. 
and it'll say, hey, this is step one. Let's go from here. But maybe for you, it has nothing to do with that kind of thing. In fact, you may not point to something that you would say, yeah, I'm doing some terrible thing here. You can't even point to that. could be a pretty moral, good life. But there's something missing. The wholeness that Christ brings. The purpose and meaning that Christ brings to our life. This relationship that opens up the door for life here, but also, listen, life eternal when we pass on one day. What would prevent you from today saying yes to that? Lord, forgive me of my sins, my selfishness. He'll do it in a heartbeat. If you'll confess and and ask that, he'll do it. Heartfelt, he'll do it. No problem. Lord, would you come into my life? I'm going to let you take the lead. I'm going to put your ways ahead of my ways and follow you. You know what that's called? That's called being a Christian. That's called being a follower of Jesus Christ. And then let the Holy Spirit come on you and lead you and start empowering you. That'll be step one. And God will grow you as you get plugged into a church that can help. Be around some some Christians that can feed into you. Open this this Bible, and let God start instructing you and teaching your life, and you'll see a transformation. What would prevent you from this morning? If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, and I know many of you are because I know many of you, what would prevent you today from taking this message and taking it and sharing it with people in your life that don't know Jesus? What would prevent you from doing that? Those are the invitations I, I hand to you this morning. The opportunity to say yes and become a follower of Jesus. Or as Christians, the opportunity to take this message and to verbally share it. Your words, your life with other people. So would you bow and pray? I want to give you just a, a second to respond on your own. You, you won't have to come up front and you know, do anything weird. I want to let you respond to what the Lord might be sharing with your heart. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, we thank you. That before there was a Bible, before there was a a book bound and handed to us, there were people who were fanatic about Jesus Christ. Who went proclaiming his death and his resurrection, that he was Messiah and Savior, that he could transform their life and bring wholeness once again. And they proclaimed it everywhere they went. Even when the world got hostile to them about it, they kept proclaiming it. Why? They so believed, and we proclaim what we believe. So, Father, this morning, in this, in this group, if there be anybody who is ready this morning to say, I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus, I'm ready to proclaim. I don't know if I could do it with the, the same passion of those disciples. That's okay. He'll take your beginnings today. But you're ready to say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Claim the death and resurrection And invite him to live in my life as the lead of my life. If that's you this morning, I want to just invite you to follow this simple prayer. You can just say it in your your head this morning. But let it be heartfelt. Lord, forgive me of my selfishness and my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life? I'm going to give you the lead, the Lord position of my life. God, today... I declare myself a follower of Jesus. This is the beginning. 
if you said that prayer, listen, in a heartbeat, God calls you a child of God. You're a follower of Christ. Even if it's fresh and new and you're not quite sure where to go from now, he receives your heart. Now, if you're here this morning, you already know Jesus, but you've never taken the time to share this message with someone else. You've never decided to use your words to share this. I want to ask that you would repeat after me this. God, use me to share the good news with someone else. Empower me to share the gospel with words. If you prayed that, in a moment, God is saying, good, I've been waiting for you, ready to use you, and he will show you opportunities this week. Father, would you bless us the rest of this day? May we lift and honor your name. And Lord, would it flow until tomorrow and Tuesday and on and on, that we would wake up each day like we did today saying he is risen, and we'd wake up each day. He is risen, and I go with him today. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen.